Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, a big happy birthday to uh, Keith Bloomfield, I'm told, this morning. Keith, you came to church on your birthday, mate. Is that right? Happy birthday. My notes say that you were 29. But then maybe I've got the numbers the wrong way around. Happy birthday, mate. Uh, today we continue the topical series uh, that complements our Just Start Talking Bible Study series. And so, because it's topical in nature, I won't be explaining every detail of our text, uh, but we are going to be flicking through chapters 1 to, one to 3, 1 to 4 of, of 1 Peter this morning and landing from time to time. Uh, but I'm going to pray, because uh, we best ask for God's help as we come to his word. Now, Father God, we remember as we come to uh, uh, the scriptures, we remember that this is your word, and so we pray that you give us uh, ears uh, to hear, uh, minds that are open and hearts uh, that are soft and well, willing to uh, receive your word. We pray that your spirit would be at work uh, and that you'd be shaping and growing us uh, to be more like your son, that our world might also embrace our saviour and king. Uh, give us the courage to just start talking and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so you can see, uh, if you're following the sermon outline, uh, the title of today's talk is How to Help Your Friends Believe. How to Help Your Friends Believe. And I start off by saying that you need to grab a pen. You can see Belinda's got a pen, that's good. And I want you to put a line through that title and just scribble it out because it's wrong. Okay? You need to change the sermon outline title. How to help your friends believe. Just cross it out. I don't like it. Uh, and I want to explain why. You can know it's wrong from the introduction of 1 Peter. This letter is about a relationship between God and his people, his church. At the beginning of 1 Peter, you'll notice that it's addressed from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, but it's written to God's elect. Verse 2, they're chosen according to the foreknowledge of the God the Father. And so how do people come to believe? Immediately, the Apostle Peter tells us, well, it's God's work, which is actually the opposite of our title. You can see it again at the end of verse 2b. So verse 2, who have been chosen according to the knowledge of God the Father, how? Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit chosen to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled in his blood. This is all of God's work. Which means that we are completely and utterly dependent on God for his grace, for his salvation, and his ongoing changing work in us and through us by his spirit. The work is God's. And then what does God do with us having done that? Well, verse 15 is helpful. Verse 15, but just as he who called you is holy, see he does the work, he says, so you be holy in all that you do. For it is written, verse 16, be holy because I am holy. We heard that read out for us, didn't we? In, from Leviticus 16, I think it was. If God is holy... He has chosen us and he has called us to be holy, to be like him, to be like the one who has called us. 
were to be set apart for the purpose of glorifying God, that we would show God to the world. And if you were here last week, you remember we talked about the priesthood of all believers, uh, that, that we stand between God and everybody else and show everyone else what God is like. And as we stand between God and the world, well, how does that play out in our relationships? Well, 1 Peter talks about that. So if you're in chapter 3, it's just a quick turn of the page. Chapter 3, verse 1. You'll love this Bible verse when I read it. Wives, submit to your husbands. Woohoo! Or verse 7 of chapter 3. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect. Or verse 8 of chapter 3. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. As you see how these relationships are to play out, we're getting a picture of what I think is submission. Mutual submission. Which started back in chapter 2, verse 13. Can you glance your eye back to chapter 2, verse 13? What's that word? Submit. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether emperor or as a supreme authority. Verse 18, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit. There it is again. Submit yourselves to your masters, not only those who are good and considerate, but also those who are harsh. In all of these relationships, whether it's the community or the workplace or even in the most intimate of marriage, This word submission is on view as a mark, I think, of being set apart and a mark of belonging to God. But submission is just such an ugly, dirty uh, word in our society, isn't it? People now identify the word of submission as a demeaning word. It's identified with inferiority and oppression, and slavery, and being, I don't know, just trodden down, and walked all over. But this isn't the Bible's view of submission, necessarily. The Bible's view of submission is serving God, and submitting to Him as an actual act of freedom. See, chapter 2, verse 16. Chapter 2, verse 16 says... Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves, or live as his servants. We probably like that one better, don't we? It's just the same. And of course, how did Jesus exercise his freedom? How did Jesus live as a servant of God? Well, we know he did it by submitting to the will of the Father, and he did that perfectly. So if you want a picture of what real biblical submission looks like, you can see it there in verse 22 of chapter 2. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, 
he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. See, there's no payback there. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed, for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, how does Jesus use his freedom? He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't make threats. He doesn't have a dummy spit and have a sook and fold his arms and walk away. How does Jesus use his freedom? He entrusts himself to him, the Father, who judges justly. Verse 23. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And in serving his Father, he serves us. He serves us because we are the ones that have been brought back, bought back, purchased even. We'll know later on in uh, this letter, chapter 3, verse 18, the Apostle Peter writes that Christ dies for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And so Jesus, in dying in our place and rising again, entrusts himself to him who judges justly. It's a beautiful act of submission, all for our benefit. But of course, submission is not something the world identifies with. We thumb our noses at authority, and in relationships too often we are unwilling to compromise or forgive, or show grace, or pay any, bear or pay any, any of the cost. But not Jesus. Jesus shows us selfless love and sacrificial love. And he does it so that now that we have, now we are the ones that have freedom. See chapter 2 verse 16? Live as free people. And what do we have freedom to do? Well, the end of verse 16 says that we have freedom to live as God's slaves, as his servants. We get to serve, we're now free to serve him, to do what Jesus did. And of course, that's not saying that we're called to die for anyone's sins like Jesus did. We can't do that. Only Jesus can do that. But we are called to submit to our Father in obedience, as Jesus did. And this is the key to holiness. This is the key to being holy as our Father is holy. See, look at verse 21 of chapter 2. To this you are called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. You can't get any plainer than that, can you? And so here is the bottom line, that we are to follow in the steps of Jesus. We are to be Christ to one another and to others, which is why our vision of growing in Christ is so good and so helpful, that we would 
grow in Christ, we become more like him, that we would do this better. That we would be a people laying down ourselves for the sake of one another, but also for the sake of others. That we would be giving up ourselves for the sake of others. That we would honour Christ with our, with our words and with our actions. That we would be honouring Christ in all of our relationships, most especially here in the context of a church family. And of course, uh, we do this because Jesus did it first for us. We go out to be a blessing to one another and beyond because Christ first blessed us. We go out and love one another first because Christ first loved us. Adam, do you mean in our marriages? Well, that's what the Apostle Peter is saying. Chapter 3, verse 1. We're back there again. Sorry. Notice the words, wives, in the same way. Submit. And you might be going, in the same way as what, Adam? And I'd be saying, well, in the same way as everything we read at the end of chapter 2. In the same way as Jesus has submitted to the, in obedience to the Heavenly Father. In the same way, wives, love your husbands. Submit to them. It's a picture of Jesus' self-sacrificial love and submission as the wife relates to the husband. All that you see there in verses 22 to 25 of chapter 2 and husbands, look at chapter 3, verse 7. The language is there again. Husbands, in the same way. In the same way as what? Go back to chapter 2, verses 22 to 25. It is that same picture of Jesus' love and submission. A love and submission that is humble, not proud and arrogant, uh, that serves, that isn't served, that is submissive, not demanding submission, that's selfless and sacrificial, not selfish, that's other person-centred, that's what we see on the cross, where we love our neighbours before ourselves. Ultimately, it's to entrust ourselves fully and completely to God, our God who judges justly. Here is, the, here is how the gospel is to shape our relationships, most especially our marriages, according to the Apostle Peter, even if it means suffering. So, man, even when you don't feel like it, or wives, even when you don't feel like it, or friends in friendship, even when you don't feel like being a friend and loving, the call is to do that anyway. Because this is how God calls his holy people, his chosen people, those who are set apart to live in this world. This is how relationships are supposed to work. And when we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, Ephesians 5 verse 21, it's a beautiful thing that helps the world go around. Imagine a world where we all submitted to one another. Imagine a marriage where we mutually submitted to one another. And what happens when, by God's grace, we live like this as Christ? Well, Christ himself is made known. A faithful witness takes place, I think. And what difference does that make? Well, we want to know the why, don't we? 
Well, we don't know the why, it's because of Jesus, but what difference does it make? We'll have a look at chapter 2, verse 15. For it's God's will that by doing good, you would silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. I love that. A faithful witness to Christ in the community and amongst each other will silence the mockers and the slanderers and the gossips and the haters and those who want to breed bitterness and anger. It will give them nothing to talk about. A faithful witness to Christ in the marriage, chapter 3, verse 2, what's the goal? Chapter 3, verse 2, the goal is that an unbelieving husband would be won over. See that? Wives, in the same way, submit to your husbands, uh, to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they'll be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives. Or chapter 2, verse 12, we heard this last week. Here's another goal. They live good such lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. It's all about God being glorified through words and actions of his people. And so we see what this is all about. This is God's work, absolutely. As God builds his church by his spirit and shapes us to be more like Jesus. As his people live his way and learn more and more about what it means to submit to their father. As we entrust ourselves to him, even in the face of opposition, even in the face of suffering, we'll become shining lights for him. And he's the one that is glorified. It's all about him. Our witness in word and in action is all about glorifying God. And this is what is to underpin our conversations as we just start talking. That's the name of our series. And it's through the witness of those God has chosen to glorify in Christ that others, people like our friends, can come to faith. And so by now you might have worked out that when I got you to scribble out the t title of the talk, it wasn't so wrong after all. So you can write it back in. Because this really is about how we help our friends to believe. We do have a part to play. We are not saved for nothing. We're saved for something. And that something is to glorify God. And now you might be saying, but Adam, that sounds all too hard and scary. Well, look at the assurances in chapter 3, verse 12. Chapter 3, verse 12. Look for the assurances. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. That's an assurance, isn't it? God's eyes are on us. His ears are attentive to prayer. Hallelujah. We know he's attentive to prayer. We've had answered prayer this week. And we continue uh, to be assured that God hears our prayers. But in the face of the Lord is, those, uh, who do, is, is against those who do evil. Verse 13, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this 
with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. There are lots of assurances here. God sees us. He hears us. Did you see the alternative to being filled with fear and dread? Did you see the alternative to being afraid? This is set apart Jesus as Lord in our hearts. To declare him that Christ is king. Don't be afraid. Set apart Christ as king in your heart. That we would seek to please him instead because we belong to him. And as we live setting apart Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, that will produce a need. And what is the need? Verse 15, the need is that we'd always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us to give a reason for the hope that we have. Are we able to do this? Can you give an answer for the hope that you have? Do you feel equipped to give an account for your faith to to people who might ask you? Well, again, this this course is seeking to help us to do that. It's not not seeking to give you two ways to live or six boxes or anything like that. It's seeking to encourage you to think about your story in the context of God's work in your life and to profess him. I mean, somebody did that very simply this morning. I said, how's your... How's your niece or something like that? He said, oh, she's great. Praise be to Jesus. And sometimes it's really as simple as that. But of course, as we witness to Christ, we're to do this with gentleness and respect. And this line in my, in my notes is here. Um, I don't think it applies to anybody here, which is good. But I do need to say, because I've seen this before in another place, that chasing people down the street, right, with a gospel tract and, and looking to hit them over the head with the Bible. I, I've seen it. It's not what Peter has in mind, okay? So don't do that. And I don't think anybody here does that. But gentleness and respect is important. And I think, well, why did Peter write that? Not because it's just good manners, but because when we apply gentleness and respect, it means that we're entrusting ourselves to God to do the rest, aren't we? When we're not being forceful and when we're not shoving things down people's throat, we're displaying a deep trust in God to do his thing. And so Peter is making it clear that the godly life, of course, is the first thing, being holy. And that gives us opportunities for the second thing. And the second thing, of course, is giving account of our faith. To just start talking. The possibility that family and friends will see such tangible evidence of hope in our lives. Peter thinks this will be magnetic and attractive and at the very least will provoke curiosity in people. And it is because of this he urges each one of us to be ready, ready and prepared to give an answer, to give the reason for our hope to anybody who might ask us. taking on an attitude of thankfulness and praise 
And remembering his grace is where it all starts. We have much to talk about. But as verse 18 reminds us, it's really as simple as remembering that Christ died for sins once and for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. And that alone in itself is worth talking about. So let's just start talking. Let's honour Christ in our lives, in our relationships, but also in our conversations, because I know we have many opportunities. Let's just start talking. Amen.